Hello, my name is Brian Martin, and you are listening to episode nine of the Running Technique Tips podcast. And I am now joined by my co-host, Lisa Biffin, who has just hot-footed it from the airport um, into the uh, virtual studio. How are you going, Lisa? Oh, I'm a little bit frazzled. I'm t- a time zone difference and arguing with taxi drivers, taking me to the wrong address, trying to make it madly here on time. And I'm back in the real world after my week of just pretending I was a full-time athlete with nothing to do but oh, sleep, really? eat, train. <laughs> Does this imply that New Zealand isn't the real world? You, you might upset our Kiwi listeners. Oh, no, as in it's not my real world. It's just <laughs> constant chaos, lack of sleep and 100 miles an hour every day. Excellent. That's good. So yeah. you've had a relaxing time of it by the sound of things. So I actually woke up this morning wide awake at 4am because I think my body was shocked that I'd had three days of uninterrupted 11 hour sleeps. And I think my body was like, okay, enough's enough. Like you're so rested, get up and start doing something. Go for um, a run. It was it was really weird. I just, I don't normally have that problem. So I was lying there going, what do I do? It's 4am in a city I don't know. My time is my own. Oh, it was it was a really nice break. So, um, yeah, so I'll settle settle back in. Oh, that's good. So, um, did you manage to uh, identify or you know follow any of the ghosts of Arthur Lydiard while you're over there? Oh, I I actually made a failed attempt. I stupidly went out in peak traffic. In my mind, I just didn't even click that it was actually a major city. So I jumped in the car. It was 5.02 and wanted to head out to the Waitakere Ranges where the famous, um, I think, 36-kilometre run that they, they used to do. And I was just really keen on getting out there. And It was pouring with rain. And I think I made... In about 20 minutes, I was I reckon I was lucky to go five kilometres and so I was like, there's no way that I'm sitting in this traffic for the next hour only for it to be dark by the time I get out there. So mission was aborted uh, and I, I will get back out there at some stage but did some training at uh, Lovelock Track that I believe that the, you know, the era of the 1960s was made quite infamous. Um, so I was slightly inspired. Yeah. So, That's good. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was good. I actually recommend I hadn't been to Auckland before, so I recommend it to anyone out there. Um, beautiful place and was a bit of a fleeting visit, so I think I'll have to go back and spend a bit more time than really, really only had three days in the end, so it wasn't long enough. Mm, sounds good. Well, the question that everyone wants the answer to is, are you still in one piece? Oh, am I still in one piece? Well, last week... Um, I actually wasn't. So I think we had spoken last and I just come back from my amazing physio and the good news was that I didn't have shin splints and after doing a bit more research, uh, we'd realised that I had sprained my ankle and I had done what they call an eversion sprain, which is out of different types of sprains, one of the least most common sprains that you can do which is quite fitting because I am a walking encyclopedia of random injuries and illnesses. 
Um, but so does that mean your ankle collapsed inwards? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I was, I was doing a warm up and I fell awkwardly off the side of a gutter. I was trying to get off the sort of cambered surface onto the fantastic road that I love to run on. And I don't really know what happened. I went, you know, flying sideways and uh, I bounced up and sort of kept running and didn't think much of it, but it obviously caught up with me a couple of weeks later. And so my ankle was just really jarred and in a really strange position. So I think it was more of a grade one sprain. And then it sort of had put my knee out. So then it actually meant that my calf was so tight that it was pulling onto the bone, which was had me thinking, oh, you know, potentially shin splints. So I had acupuncture uh, into my calves and I just respond so well to needles. How do you go with needles? Uh, I like them. I like them a lot. I respond very well to them. Yeah, I just, I don't know what it is. I feel so relaxed with them and I feel like I can actually feel, I don't know, them them working their magic throughout the therapy. So um, had I had actually two sessions of the acupuncture and it was as though my calf was reborn and it just let go. The shin pain disappeared immediately and then all of a sudden the original soreness, sort of the tendon down around the ankle bone sort of showed itself and I was like, oh, actually that's where the pain is. Mm. So, so did you do that um, like slightly gross thing where they come along and like tweak the needles after they've already been stuck into you? Oh, yeah, but I love that because – Often initially they go in and I feel a little bit and I think, oh, okay, well, you know, they're not doing much. And then that tweaking comes and you get that, I don't even know how to describe it. It's sort of like a pinch but a, a twinging of the muscles and I just have images of just blood flow going into the area and just, you know, layers of goodness going throughout my body. I love it. Yeah, very good. So anyway, the recommendation was to actually cross-train and it was quite fitting because I had actually put into my program a down week. The down week was in kilometres so I hadn't intended to be in the pool and on the Alter G but um, it, it didn't really phase me so I actually did a pool session on the Tuesday and the Thursday and they were quite tough. I mean I find if you do pool sessions properly, you can really be huffing and puffing by the end of it. So um, they were quite big, six by four minutes with only 30 seconds recovery and you do a 10-minute pool run warm-up and a 10-minute pool run warm-down. So you are in the pool for a while in the end. And Sounds horrible. Yeah, actually, I don't know why. I don't mind it. Look, if I got told I had six months of pool running ahead of me, I'd probably have a very different view. But thinking you- that I only had one week, I was okay with it. How do you actually do it properly? Do you have to have some kind of flotation device or is it? Yeah, so there's a couple of schools of thought. Some people don't do it without a flotation device, but I'm sure many runners are in the same boat as me and we actually can't float. So we spend then our whole time flailing around just trying to stay above water, which defeats all purposes of any good technique. That's pretty much me just trying to swim. Oh, yeah, just could never float. Any of those, uh, you know, bronze star things that we used to do and it came to the lying on your back relaxation floating for 10 minutes it was more of a survival struggle for me Uh, but anyway so I have a little what we call a pool belt so like a little um yeah flotation sort of device that you can click in around your waist and keeps you buoyant and basically then just doing the running motion under the water and some people are quite 
um, their first instinct is to try and overstride. You need to try to avoid that to really just keep small little movements. And you often don't go very far. So you're just really going tiny little paces around the pool. Um, obviously, you've got your arms swinging. And, yeah, if you can get the motion right, it's it can be quite a workout. Mm, sounds like it would probably work out your hamstrings a lot. Would that be right? Uh, I, I, so maybe I'm not doing it right. The first place oh, in me that fatigues are my arms. I don't okay. know why. I get this lactic in my arms. Um, I actually find a bit of a all-over lower body workout once I've done with it. So, yeah, I, I, I don't mind it. But Tuesday, Thursday, I was in the pool and the hardest thing for me is it's still pretty cold outside and jumping into that pool takes all of my mental strength. But, and heated? <laughs> well, they are. The pool, ironically, was 26.7 degrees. But <laughs> but your body isn't. <laughs> my body isn't and I just, oh, it's just I have to literally psych myself up to take the plunge, literally. So anyway, um, I did jump on the Ultra G on the Wednesday and I did 11Ks and I had it at quite really lightweight, actually. It was 45% weight and I, I couldn't feel my ankle at all. And then was back in the physio on the Friday for some more uh, acupuncture and basically had the good news to say, look, just give it one more day's rest and then resume normal training on the Sunday. So just did a 1K pool swim on the Saturday and then headed out to my favourite trail that I talk about, Butteroo Plateau, the back of Jerringong, and I did 22Ks and I'll be honest, I wasn't sure how this would go because I'd, I'm not much of a drinker and had a celebration for a friend on the Friday night and consumed, for me, way too many champagnes over a long period of time and I still felt shocking on the Sunday. So I am such a lightweight, which is probably a common uh, occurrence for runners as well, and after devouring chicken parma and chips and any other greasy or sugary substance that was in my wake over those two days, I was I was suffering on the Sunday. You were well-fueled, but perhaps <laughs> maybe not with the right things. <laughs> oh, I was well-fueled and I think I was delirious for most of the run, but my knee got a bit gristly towards the end. So I mm-hmm. I actually, it was a, it's a 12K out, 12K back. So it was 24Ks all up. I covered 22Ks of nonstop running and the final 2Ks was walking. But the main thing was my shin, my calf, my ankle, they felt amazing. So, um, you know, it cross-training for the week, but I don't feel like I've lost anything and I actually feel really refreshed and, you know, just having that confidence finishing on that sort of 24Ks for the week. Um, uh, yeah, I was feeling quite good. Very good. Yeah. Sounds like, uh, yeah, that, that, that'll that be a refreshing experience um, for you. Could actually yeah. be a blessing in the long run. Look, and it really could be. So I think it's one of those things that, you know, we have this goal and we've spoken about in one of our earlier podcasts around that a plan is just a plan and you really need to be flexible to change when things happen and also not allow your mind to straight away think the worst. And that can be a, you know, can be a tough thing to do when you're got a plan and you're trying to tick it off. But, you know, I said to myself, look, I'm still eight weeks away and going back and looking at the trading that I've done, it was like, well, I'm, you know, if I counted up the amount of uh, kilometres that I did, if I transferred my pool running into kilometres, I still got 53 Ks for the week. Mm-hmm. 
uh, only off four days. And my initial plan, I think, was only 65K. So I thought, you know what? It, I actually didn't see it as, as any main, main issue. And as we just said, you know, maybe refreshing mind, body, and spirit, and certainly a kick in the bum to eat clean. <laughs> from <laughs> and this not week drink champagne. Oh, no more champagne until after the race. I'm officially on a ban. <laughs> So yeah, so that was my week. It was um, it was interesting. I had to readjust, but I'm still smiling. My body feels good, and yeah, look, still I think eight weeks away. So a long time for lots of things to continue to go in the right direction. Excellent, and you've got a good solid five, at least five weeks of um, solid training available to you before you even start thinking about tapering. So yeah, yeah, that's right. So lots of lots of good things to look forward to, but. Um, you were also a jet setter for the last week. I was, week. yes. I have returned from Flinders Island, um, so I'm back in the uh, Ballarat High Performance Centre um, <laughs> after my little sojourn on Flinders. Um, yeah, Flinders Island's a, uh, it's an amazing place. There's, um, there's only a permanent population there of about 800 people. Oh, wow. Um, and one of my the, the reason I got to know it a little bit is one of my Friends from the university has actually only in the last week permanently re- relocated um, onto the island, and he's going to live um, uh, a slightly uh, uh, self-sufficient and almost hermetic existence. So, uh, yeah, he's he's set himself up a, an amazing little cabin with solar panels and batteries and a tractor and on two hundred acres, and yeah, he's going to basically be farming and doing other things down there. Well, that actually sounds so blissful. Yeah. I don't know about the farming part. I'm not much of a farmer, <laughs> but the remote location and wilderness sounds fabulous. Yeah, look, it's definitely all of that. It's got some amazing scenery, amazing beaches, um, incredible wildlife. So yeah, as just even as a look, I, I went there as a for this trip at least for a, a running destination. But it's a pretty good place to visit, regardless um, if you get the chance. Um, yeah, so. Um, so shall I tell you about my my week leading yeah, up to Flinders? Yeah, absolutely. You want to hear about it, hear about the run as well. That was the yes. main reason you were going there. So whip through your week and excited to hear about this run. Yeah, all right. Well, I'll smash through my week. So it began as usual on a Tuesday with about 46 and a half minutes, eight and a half kilometres, which was just a touch over five miles um, at around 5.33 kilometre pace average, which is about 8.55 miling um, and 1.24 heart rate average and I did five of those um, hill efforts after that session. Um, Yeah, you might notice my heart rate was really quite low um, average for that and that seemed to be... Yeah, look, uh, over the course of this week I just noticed... Um, and it's probably even even last week. Really noticed those easier runs. My heart rate has been really really low, which is a a really good marker that you know at those sort of easier paces. Um, uh, yeah, really not having to work hard um, at all. So, yeah, good signs, good signs. Um, which led oh actually uh, one thing I noticed while I was doing those hills was um, because I'd started doing because yeah over time I started doing them a bit. Bit, a bit harder, like I was putting more effort into the pushing through the ground and getting up the hill. I reckon doing that might have just jarred my back a little bit, which is a, a potential root cause of some of that um, 
lateral thigh slash ITB type niggle that I've been having. So I just kind of noted that down in my training diary as a potential thing to look out for in the future to um, yeah, just be mindful that those kind of efforts as you start putting more, more um, uh, force into them can end up uh, yeah, transferring all the, way, all the way up your body into your back. So, um, yeah, I've, I, as a bit of an update for that niggle, I've pretty much got on top of that um, and virtually running without any awareness of that whatsoever, which is What did good. you do to fix it? Um, well, I did I did the, the sensible things, basically um, start doing a couple of sessions a week of um, hip-based strength training, so really working on... Um, my glutes, uh, making sure I did some glute medius work and also did some um, some work on my TFL, the, ten- the, the latte muscle, <laughs> the tensor fascia lata muscle, um, which is that kind of lateral hip flexor. So I just basically worked on um, strengthening um, all of the muscles um, that basically attach onto the ITB to make sure that they were kind of working well um, and I did some of those yin long really long yin stretches four to five minute holds um, in the pigeon pose yeah, um, which kind of stretched so the glutes good, out as well it's so evil mm, and also I did a bit of spiky ball um, once I once I realized that my back was kind of a little bit tight I was did a bit of spiky ball up and down my back um, just to make sure that kind of loosened up and yeah that was really that was really good so I think just doing those things over the course of the three or so weeks that that niggle has been hanging around has really enabled me to kind of get ahead of it and uh, pretty much knock it on the head so I'm Very good. currently running without any niggles which is good amazing <laughs> it's a good thing at this stage um so Wednesday was a medium long run day. Um, so I did uh, 92 and a half minutes for, I think it was about 17.3 kilometres, roughly 10 and a half miles. And that was a pretty reasonable pace for me, 525 kilometre pace average, um, 843 miling, 132 heart rate average. So yeah, again, I was sort of moving along pretty well um, without um, yeah really spiking the heart rate. Uh, which yeah was good. It was making me think that the uh, the race coming up on the Saturday was probably going to go well. Um, which leads me into Thursday. I did well, Thursday. I'd actually planned well in my program was supposed to be Fartlek Friday. So um, in my program, I actually had initially a session in there of five by three minute efforts at five k race pace, and I just felt it was only a couple of days before the run on Flinders Island on Saturday, which is a 26K run, so I didn't really want to uh, cook myself by doing a really hard session um, a couple of days before that. Um, but I was just running so well in the kind of first three or four Ks that I almost felt like a, you know, you know when you feel like a coiled-up spring and you just feel like you have to do some hard running. Um, so I was almost kind of bouncing off the walls a bit. So I decided just to do like a mini tempo effort. So I just did 10 minutes um, by heart rate and basically made sure that my heart rate stayed in the 150s, which is kind of in that that sort of tempo slash threshold zone for me. Um, So I did 10 minutes and basically averaged around 410 kilometre pace, probably slightly slower than that given Garmin 
error, which is about 642 miling, and my heart rate average for the 10-minute effort was 154, and that felt fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, that felt really good. And Five weeks out, things are starting to come together. Things, things are clicking. Um, yeah, I must admit, when I was doing it, I was looking. I looked afterwards. I looked at my watch, and I thought, "Oh God, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this only slightly faster than Lisa's marathon pace." <laughs> <laughs> well, predicted, but hopeful marathon pace. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. And but um, yeah, I must admit, it was. Uh, it did feel pretty comfortable running at that pace which was good and uh yeah the, the heart rate average kind of yeah would indicate that um yeah probably my threshold pace at the moment is is around 410 to 415 somewhere in that ballpark i reckon yeah that's um, good though it's good going yeah and I've, I've i've worked out that i've got my own listen to your body um lactic acid detection <laughs> mechanism because I, I don't know about you but my, when i start going lactic my arms start to kind of get really dead and heavy feeling so they kind of get lactic before my legs do yeah only in the pool that happens to me <laughs> but <laughs> so, you've got yeah. lurch arms so maybe that's why it could be the thing although i reckon my lurch arms are starting to get better slowly but yeah i noticed as i kind of pushed up there's a couple of periods where i was pushing along and i was getting into sort of 159 heart rate and I could just feel this just faint sensation in my arms and I thought right that's where that seems to be where threshold is you need to back off just a fraction so um, I'm just going to note that for future reference because I I think that's probably going to help me um, stay um, under threshold when I need to um, in future training sessions um, which is good so better than going to the lab right yeah absolutely um, so then it was Friday and Friday we're actually flying out to Flinders Island. So I just did 30 minutes, um, which is about five and a half Ks in the morning. Um, and then it was onto the, onto the plane and off to Flinders. Um, so yeah, race day came, came around pretty quickly. Um, and my friend Glenn, who I mentioned before was good enough to, um, come and pick me up and take me down to the start, which was at a little town called Lady Baron. Um, so, yeah, he dropped me off there, which was good, and I followed your advice, which you gave me because I sort of planned on making this around a 30-kilometre day, um, but I was only doing a 26K race, so I basically went for a, a four-kilometre run before the start. Yeah, good move. Yes. Good call. <laughs> yeah, listen, listen to Lisa. Um, yeah, so and I, I didn't take it too easy on that run. I think I did, I think I was in about 4K in 539-kilometre average, um, 905 miling at 124 heart rate. And, yeah, as I was, I, I ran in one direction for a couple of Ks and then I turned around and re- realised that I was running into quite a strong headwind <laughs> and uh, that that was pretty much the prelude um, or pretty much one of the, the main two stories of that entire race. So um, actually after the race I recorded a bit of the wind. So as I turned around into the wind, this was what I was confronted with. Wind is my least favourite element and that yeah. sounds hellish because isn't it, it was. like a race in one direction? It is a race in oh, one direction. Oh. So Lady Baron is oh, down no. down on the southern 
tip of the island and so you're basically running uh you're running north gotta get my direction here right you're running uh northwest across the island you almost basically traverse the entire island because it's not a huge island um towards white mark where the finish is and the wind was blowing at about 40 kilometers an hour in exactly the opposite direction to what we were running so it was um it was it was a headwind race um, from the absolute get go to the end, which was it sounds pretty awful. Interesting, um, yeah. Look at and, and I'm like you. I really don't like the wind that much, but um, yeah. Once I kind of got out there and got going, um, I found that uh, whilst it yeah it was incredibly windy, um, there was so much to kind of look at because the views over the first well in fact the views over the entire race are amazing so there's plenty to kind of look around you can see the ocean you can see the mountains um there's yeah there's lots of look at to look at to distract you um so i think that kind of helped um and although you know that's this isn't Flinders Island Running Festival. It's not a huge event. I think there was about maybe 45 runners in this 26k race that I did. Um, so having a few other people around was helpful. And yeah, there was a lot of kind of locals out on the out on the course, um, kind of cheering people along um, as well. So so yeah, once I got going, um, and you might, you might recall I was planning on doing this basically as a as a a solid paced long run um and yeah i was i was very disciplined for the for the first 5k um in fact i was pretty disciplined for the first 15 so i'll just give you my give you my 5k splits um so the first 5k i ran in 512 kilometer pace average which is about 822 miling and my average heart rate was 137 so that was kind of bang on my my math pace, aerobic, yeah. aerobic limit um, which was really good, even though I was going into that strong headwind, I was, I was really pleased to be able to kind of maintain um, that pace. And yeah, the next 5k, I basically maintained exactly the same pace, but my average heart rate went to 143 as, um, as yeah, just continue, started to, I guess, you know, exert more effort running into the wind. Um, and there's also a very gradual uphill um, through the first um, 10 kilometers. Um, and then the next five kilometers, the hill starts to kind of kick up a little bit more. So average 520 kilometer pace, which is about 834 miling. And my average heart rate was 147, which is still, you know, I was basically, you know, like you, you and I both both enjoy the um, Inside Running podcast. And I, I, one of the things that I enjoy about um, uh, Moose's advice about marathon running is that concept of staying on the couch yeah. um, and running really easily through the, the the initial stages of a marathon or a longer race. So I, I really was on the couch um, through that first 15 kilometres. Um, but what I started to notice was that I was potentially in the race because because it wasn't a huge field and there's obviously not a super amount of um, fast runners that were there. I didn't think I was that far off the podium um, and I could see some people off in the distance who weren't getting any further away from me. In fact, I felt like they were almost starting to come back just a fraction. Do you know what I love about that? It doesn't matter whether you're an elite athlete you know, or a recreational runner like us. The minute that you get 
you know, that little bit of an inkling that you're either a PB or, you know, a possible podium. We've all got the same flick that switches, I reckon. Competitive yep. beast mode turns on. I, I <laughs> my competitive animal was uh, my competitive animal was definitely starting to come out. Um, uh, yes, I, I couldn't couldn't quite resist that. So anyway, so I was bargaining with myself. I basically changed the plan at that point. Um, and through that next 5K, and I sent you the course profile, the, it really kind of kicks up um, and you're kind of running over the shoulder of one of the, the kind of largest um, Mount Streslecki, one of the, the largest mountain on the island, which in to- the mountain itself goes up over 500 metres, but you only, I think you only run over about 130 metres elevation, but you're coming from basically sea level. So um, it... It, pro- it it actually felt quite steep, but I think the headwind just exacerbated the climb. Um, so you look at definitely, um, you definitely had to expend a lot more effort to kind of maintain pace. And as I did start to increase my pace as I got over the top of that climb. So my next five kilometres up to 20K were in 4.47 average. And that's about 741 miling. And by now my heart, heart rate average for that 5K was 155 which was, yeah, as I mentioned, I was bargaining with myself. I was, initially I was like, oh, keep your heart rate under 150. And I thought, well, if I keep it under 160, I'm, I'm more or less, I'm definitely staying out of the red zone um, and I'm still kind of in a zone that I would basically end up being in if I was racing the marathon. So I tried to basically run by effort with using my heart rate to monitor that. So whilst I was chasing down these people, I was keeping an eye on my heart rate monitor and I was just making sure that I didn't get too close to 160 beats a minute because I did not want to cook myself. Um, and, yeah, look, things things basically felt pretty amazing through that point and I did pick up a few places, which was good. Um there was uh, one runner, one of the locals, a lady by the name of Alana, didn't catch her last name. She was coming back to me for a fair portion of the time, but I reckon with about six Ks to go, she realized I was catching her <laughs> and she kind of took off. Um, and I had to be very disciplined then to say, well, there was no way I was going to catch her unless I went um, into the red room. So I would have been going it I would have had to probably run at 165 heart rate I reckon to kind of catch her so I just stayed strong and uh, stuck to my plan and kept it under 160 and yeah my basically my final 5k split um, to 25k was 447 as well um, at 156 average heart rate so yeah I ended up actually finishing fourth male I think um yeah that's excellent which was great and uh what was your time Time was, that is a good question. I was about two hours and nine minutes and 30 seconds. Okay. Um, which for the whole run meant that I averaged 509 kilometre pace, which I don't know if you remember, that was the, actually the pace average that I did for the marathon last year. Yeah, so a, you are, things are going well. Mm, yeah, really I think well. so. And given, given I was running into a 40K wind the whole way and at times it, the gusts were so strong that it almost blew you to a standstill 
Um, and I remember at one stage when it was kind of, it kind of came in from the side a little bit and it actually picked up my swing leg and nearly tripped me over because it kind of blew my left leg into my right leg. It was just insane wind. It was really insane wind. Yeah, that does not sound like fun, but it does sound like a good event for anyone that's looking for an interesting, uh, different, and it sounds like it was you know super friendly, lots of locals. Yeah, look, it's it's all of that, and you know, credit to the organisers. They're all they're all volunteers and all locals, and they've they've done a pretty amazing job to put on that event. Um, and you know. The, the attention to detail, even to the point of putting kilometre markers with little motivational sayings and humorous anecdotes and things on them. So yeah, every, every time you went through a K marker, you had something amusing to have a look at um, <laughs> to kind of distract you. Take your mind uh, off the wind. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, just, yes, can't, can't emphasise enough, like, how stunning the scenery is throughout the course of the race and running it as I did without going absolutely flat out meant that I could kind of appreciate what was going on around me a bit more, which was nice. And I think that really added to like my enjoyment of, um, of that event. So yeah, definitely one for people to consider and I'm definitely going to go back next year. And I think I might've mentioned last time we spoke that what they do is they actually flip the direction of the race. Um, so next year it'll actually go from white Mark to lady Baron and, from what I understand from the locals, you generally expect a tailwind if that was the case. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to run it in the other direction and although you'll get a steep climb early in the run, for the rest of the run you'll be on this like gentle downhill slope and hopefully with the wind behind you. So you'd have like, you know, um, probably about 20Ks of um, almost 20Ks of gentle downhill with the wind behind you, which would be pretty amazing. Um, Sounds like a good. What did you do? Thirty k's all up. Yeah, so it ended up being a thirty k day, which was which was really good. So um, yeah, that was good. I ticked off that really long run that I was looking for in my training, um, and yeah, got it done in an environment that sort of meant that I yeah you almost don't notice that it's happening. Um, whereas if I'd gone out and done that by myself, it would have been a real slog. So yeah, it was. Um, it was it was really good from that perspective. Yeah, good. I like all of it. Yes, uh, highly recommend it. Um, and so, actually, actually, after after fueling up at the pub afterwards with a recovery beer or two, and a delicious roast pork roll and chips. <laughs> God, we sound like we had the same diet on the weekend. <laughs> you ran a really good race, and I suffered. <laughs> It's it's it sounds terrible, but man, it just tasted amazing after um, running across that island. But um, I pulled up pretty well, so I actually went for a jog on the Sunday. Um, I did about seven k's, which meant that I got a little over eighty. I think eighty and a half or eighty one k's for the week, um, and that meant that the end of August had ticked over as well. And I, I think I, I think I ran about 340 Ks in August. So I've just been like Mr. Consistent over the last, over the last month, just sort of ticking off those, um, you know, mid to high seventies or 80 K weeks the whole time. So I think it's just that consistency rather than um, striving for more Ks at the moment. That's meaning that I'm running, running a bit better, I think. Yeah. It's all coming together. Mm. Um, which, since we've been talking about this lead-up race and the uh, you've done quite a few lead-up races as well, in, including the one last time that had you smiling, 
Um, sure. We thought that um, for this week's topic of the week, we'd actually talk about lead-up races and their purpose in the build-up to a marathon after this. So what do you reckon, Lisa, uh, lead-up races? Do you need one? Do you oh. need to do any lead-up races? So... I think let's talk about the cons. We'll start negative and then we'll finish positive. Okay, um, I like it. <laughs> yeah. So I think the cons of lead-up races, uh, they can go horribly wrong, especially if like if we're talking lead-up races to a marathon specifically. And I think I learnt this firsthand only you know, a few weeks ago in my very failed attempt at the 10K, uh, the Sydney Harbour 10K that I did where I just – fell to bits and hadn't appreciated going from I think I was running maybe 50, 60 kilometres a week to then adding in that mid-week, midweek long run on the Wednesday and then obviously the long run on the Sunday, which was getting bigger and bigger. And I wanted to go into it without being, you know, without tapering, wanted to keep the training up. But I, first of all, I just didn't have the consistency under my belt and had the failed attempt in the 10k and I think that can lead to some doubt and then some negativity and then that you know, that can spiral. Uh, so, so you're kind of saying that if you have a bad lead-up race that that could be detrimental to you, your confidence for the rest of your campaign. Yeah, and especially if it's really close to the, you know your, your goal race. Like luckily for me it was I bought about three or four months out so you know, I had lots of time to analyse, readjust, replan and change. But I, you know, I've mentioned a few times I'm a confidence runner. So, you know, if I had gone in and done that race, you know, four weeks before this New York marathon and had a shocker, despite all the training sort of before it, I know that it would take a bit of a toll on me mentally. So that would definitely be one of my cons. Um, another one is that you might actually run your race in the race that you don't mean to run your race mm-hmm. in. <laughs> Um, and I think that's something that we discussed, especially when changing around my program, is that you might just end up throwing your best effort into the wrong race. Yeah, I th- and then look, when, when I was um, in the latter stages of that run at, on Flinders Island, I just kept thinking in my mind as like, yes, I could, I could go. Like I, I felt like I really wanted to to go, but I thought I need to save that special effort for race day because I'm going to arrive, you know, at a similar stage of the race with, you know, 10Ks to go and that'll be the time to use up that magic. Yeah, and you don't, that's right, you don't want to use it in the wrong race and then you get to your actual race and you find that you're quite flat um, because you've just overdone it in another race. So I'd be quite wary of that. I don't think it matters so much in maybe, you know, shorter track racing you know you recover quite quickly and you often find that you do race week after week but if we're talking marathon specific well I'd be I'd be a bit worried and you know like what happened to you last year you sort of peaked three weeks before you really wanted to peak that's that's right (laughs) so I'd definitely be wary of that but do you have any cons that you think are out lead up races well I think um I think definitely there's the risk of yeah, there's three things you could probably, I think, do wrong. Um, and one is you just do too many. And the second one is you do a lead-up race that's actually too far. Um, and, you know, the last one is obviously doing them too fast or too much intensity. So I think 
any combination of those three might put you in a position where, you know, A, you might have run your race in training like what you mentioned, but also just sort of starts to compromise your recovery. Um, so in the overall picture of your training, you might find that um, the racing is actually getting in the way of you hitting specific um, marathon training sessions. For example, you know, your long run. Um, if you're finding that you can't do your long run or your long run's really compromised because you beat yourself up with too much racing or you went too hard in the race and you couldn't do your long run, um, then that might be a bit more detri- detrimental. They were the kind of negatives that that I could think of. Yeah, and I think also just one more is, you know, I wouldn't really like to taper going into lead-up races mm. and there may be a risk of, and as we said, we're, all, we're competitive irrespective of often what level you're at and, even though you're thinking, oh, this is a training effort, you may actually subconsciously maybe ease off some of your training, go into a semi-taper, and then if you do run the race too hard uh, or, you know, say it's you know like a half marathon that you've done it at a, a pretty high intensity, then you have to recover. It may take two weeks to recover and there's two weeks taken out of your training block um, that probably was more important than that sort of race that was not meant to be a hard-on race. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there's probably a lot of uh, like we don't talk that much about elite runners because we're not them, but yeah, there's probably in elite running circles, especially for the marathon, there would be a lot of runners who would just turn up and race without much of a lead up. Um, but they would but, have so much consistency and so yes. many kilometres in their legs. You know, I'm sort of coming from that standpoint of, you know, you and I who have only just this year built up to running 80Ks a week and I've only done two of them for the year. So it's we're not quite at that same level of conditioning, not even close. Yeah, that's right. And, look, they'll, they'll have so many other things that are going on in training um, that they'll be doing and probably a lot of efforts that are kind of close to running the full marathon distance um, and, you know, running those super long um, marathon tempo runs and that kind of thing that would give them the confidence that they're in the right shape to um, run somewhere near their goal pace. Um, I actually didn't do any lead-up races in in the build-up to the Melbourne Marathon last year. Um, so it is it is possible to actually not race and still have an acceptable result. But I think um, for me personally, I I think I suffered from a fair bit of pre-race anxiety because I hadn't done any lead-up races before Melbourne last year. Is it an actually good then point around what are the pros? And I think what you just mentioned is such a good one because you often – like you don't understand what it's like to race until you're in that environment and it's everything from, you know, put, remembering to pin your bib on, uh, you know, what am I meant to eat? You actually have to think about that rather than when you just rock out the door for your, you know, your 20K run. Where do I need to start? What are the logistics? There are so many things that you actually do need to think about. So I think practising that eases, um, you know, that anxiety that you just spoke about when it gets to the actual day. Yeah, I, I I think so, and um, especially if you're if you haven't done a lot of um, uh, marathon pace or, or faster running in your program, then that's what I found at least that that anxiety was even more exacerbated because although I felt like I had the miles in the legs and I'd be able to run somewhere near my goal pace, that because I actually hadn't done that or I hadn't done any of those kind of marathon pace 
test um, training sessions that we've talked about in mm-hmm. some of the previous episodes. Yeah. I really didn't have a good marker for for how I was going, and also for me, my biomechanics are pretty suspect. So um, just locking into a bit of faster running for me I think is quite important um so doing a little bit of faster running in training and the odd lead up race um which just kind of helped me feel confident that I'm actually moving well or moving in a way that I'd be able to kind of lock into for the long haul in the marathon yeah and I think that's a really good point for lead up races is that I struggle to especially if I'm running on my own and find tempo is really hard in training and so then I get this you know, psychologically effective or this pace is really hard, I'm not going to be able to do it. But then you transport that into a race like that half marathon that I had done and wanted to do it at marathon and then build my way down. And it felt so easy. It felt amazing. So all of a sudden confidence lifts. I believe that I can do it. And, you know, I'm going through my training and leading into this marathon thinking, well, yeah, my, my goal's not too ambitious. You know, I'm able to do it when it's, you know, a, a practice run. So there's no reason why I can't do it in the real deal. Yep. Uh, I think you've identified one of the the other pros that I had on my list, which was just using them as training sessions and particularly training sessions where um, it's something that you find particularly challenging or difficult. So whether that's a, a long tempo run um, or some marathon pace work or a long run, as in the case of what I did at Flinders Island. So um, just in that race environment, those kind of harder mental efforts are actually easier to pull off with other people around you. Yeah. And I think another pro is teaching yourself how to race and, you know, that is actually quite an important thing, especially in the marathon. Like I've taken the opportunity for these lead-up races to trust in the process of running slow, which might sound a bit strange, but, you know, coming from traditionally a track background, often the gun goes and, you know, you're you're at 100% or, you know, 90% straight away, whereas gaining that confidence in myself to say, well, it not only does it need to feel slow, it needs to feel extra slow, but having that practice to go, it's okay, remain calm. If something goes wrong, you've had other races to be in different situations rather than getting to the main race panicking and then it all falling apart within the first half a dozen Ks. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of, that it's really that sort of pace management, isn't it, that you're talking about? Um, and yeah, I, I see that as being one of the key benefits and particularly that patience just to be able to kind of sit back um, and run at an intensity that feels quite comfortable um, but just keep holding back, holding back, holding back because, you know, at some point um, at some point during the race it's going to get hard. Yes, um, and you're going to need, need those reserves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You just and need- I find that really easy to do in training. Like I am a classic for, you know, first rep is the slowest by a mile and then gradually get quicker. But as soon as you put that race element in it, even if it's not a, you know, an A race for me, that gun goes, all of that energy from everyone else around, it, it it's very easy to get sucked in. And to train yourself to be, you know, able to just channel out everybody else, forget what they're doing, forget what pacemakers are doing and say, this is my plan. I'm going to learn to run it my way. Yep. I like it. I think I like that a lot. It's actually interesting, again, flicking through some of the um, the marathon training guides that we've spoken about in previous episodes that um, I think in an advanced marathoning by Pete Fitzinger, he's 
pencils in a number of lead-up races into the program and is quite positive about using them. But on the flip side, you've got the Hanson's Marathon method where they really don't recommend that you do lead-up races. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I guess it basically means there's, there is no right answer. If you're the kind of person that can prepare on your own um, and you can tick all the boxes by yourself, then maybe you don't need them. Um, but equally, if you're, well, probably not like me last year, but certainly this year, I'm, I'm getting a lot more benefit, I think, out of doing these, some of these lead-up races that I've done, uh, like the 15K uh, marathon pace practice session that I did at Lake Wendery, um, definitely the Flinders Island one. Um, and the Flinders Island one was just a lot of fun. And that was actually the other thing I wanted to mention on the positive, like, it is actually just a lot of fun going out there, particularly if you're um, racing at a, um, a sub-maximal intensity. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's good to be able to just kind of get out there and uh, let loose for a little while. Yeah, no, look, I'm a big fan of the um, of the lead-up race. As a confidence runner, it's something that I definitely need and it helps me not get stale as well, just having something to look forward to, you know, the atmosphere, being around and in an environment that I love with like-minded people. I actually think there's a lot of positives from it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like you're about to get drowned in Sydney. I can hear some thunder <laughs> in the background. It is. It's out of control. I've been told how amazing it's been all week and then I step off the plane and um, it's chaos out there <laughs> no worries well yeah. i think we're almost at a wrap actually so we might just um uh, after this talk about our tip for the week so really the tip is just building on that conversation that we've just had about the pros and cons of lead up races and whether or not you should use them or not so i guess the the thing that i would say is you need to have a think about um, yourself as a runner and your needs um, as part of your overall training program and have a think about what role lead up races can play in that and i suppose as you know there's probably two angles that you can come from one is the psychological about confidence building and the other one is um, is there some kind of training effect um, that you're looking for that you can get from your races um, that uh, you might not be able to get as part of your normal training program what have i missed lisa i don't think you've missed anything i think you've wrapped it up perfectly oh actually i thought of something that i forgot um the other the other thing is um just using those lead-up races potentially to kind of um, do those sort of marathon pace test sessions um, that we um, have spoken about um, in our previous episodes. Well, it sounds like your uh, your children have arrived home, Lisa. I so know, there's going to be chaos in the background. Any minute. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, God, they're just going to burst in with mummy. It's <laughs> all happening. Well, I reckon that that might be a good time to wrap it, wrap it up. Um so, yeah, uh, glad to see you made it back in one piece from New Zealand. And, yeah, uh, I made it back. And then next week's edition, I'll talk about all the things New Zealand and what it was like to pretend to be a full-time athlete for a week. Fantastic. Excellent. All right, we'll leave it there. You have been listening to the Running Technique Tips podcast with Brian Martin and Lisa Biffin. We'll be talking to you next week.